Hello, this is Craig Issot, and welcome to Hearth Talk. In today's episode, we speak to hearth industry expert John Goland on various subjects, ranging from pellet and corn stoves to chimney drafting, especially in the case of non-catalytic EPA-certified stoves. I hope you enjoy it. I wanted to call you today and pick your brain a little bit more about some solid fuel questions. First, I'm going to try you with a surprise question. You ready? <laughs> sure. Tell me what you think of pellet stoves and corn stoves. Well, um, I am not in favor at all of corn stoves. They, they sort of fall into the same kind of category in my mind as ethanol from corn, which is it's not a very good idea to take a very big plant that tends to be pretty hard on soils anyway and needs a lot of fertilizer and take just its fruit and burn it. Um, I think we're a lot better off to, if we're going to put that much energy in a growing stuff, that we should eat it ourselves directly. Uh, so I'm not in favor of burning food. Uh, and as far as pellets are concerned, I think pellets are just fine. I mean, they are—they have a niche that is, that fits in very well with a lot of people's sort of lifestyle and so on. In the sense that they are uh, convenient and uh, they can operate without attention for you know up to 24 hours or so, which is, which is very very good for a lot of people. I I don't find them particularly great to watch. Uh, you know, because the fire is, is, is quite predictable and tends to look sort of blowtorch-like. So, you know, to be perfectly frank about it, you know, the industry has gone toward a decorative pellet stove, which has a glass door and so on, as if the fire itself was very attractive. Now, I don't really think it is all that attractive. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised at the direction the industry has taken. I look at pellets as being a terrific fuel for basements. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I think, as usual, the uh, eventually the industry is going to come around to uh, – you know, some of the things that we, we tend to think about, like, uh, you know, just, just to give you a for instance, we, we are finding more biomass uh, pellet, more pellet furnaces and boilers coming out, somewhat in anticipation of, of higher ash pellets, pellets made from grass, uh, things of that nature. And, and they're starting, some people are starting to set up bulk delivery, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's something yeah. where we can see, uh, you know, we can see a sort of a better and all automatic control and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. And you know, it seems to me you know, one of the big challenges that we've always had in the wood stove business uh, is that, you know, in, in attempting to meet EPA emission limits, controlling the amount of smoke put out. One of the hard things that we've done is we've put a great big, we've, we've basically converted one whole side of the firebox to a glass door. And that glass uh, obviously can't have insulation on it. And so we are battling against tremendous heat loss right from the primary combustion chamber where we could actually burn the wood much better and much cleaner uh, if there weren't a glass door there. Um, and same thing goes for pellets. You could, you could have a better quality pellet fire, I suspect, by having a very compact fully insulated combustion chamber. So it just, it, it, it seems to me it's, it's um, given the fact that it's not a terrifically decorative fire that's produced by a pellet stove, you know, I just would have thought that furnaces and boilers would have been um, more sensible ways to use the stuff and probably could produce, could because it wouldn't have to be a decorative appliance, it could be more sophisticated just from a combustion heat transfer point of view and squeeze out more efficiency and so on. Yeah, you know, I think, I think uh, what we're dealing with here is that the industry, uh, sort of a feather in their cap, developed a lot of these things when oil prices were really, really low. So, you know, they ha anybody who's developing uh, this type of product, or in fact, in this case, a whole industry from the ground up, had to do it in a you know environment where where a lot of the alternative fuels were 
alternative meaning fossil fuels were cheaper so uh so this is i think one of the reasons why they had to first go for the decorative appliance to get some of us you know old wood burners whose back is bad or who we moved to a house you know where they're not be, might not be as much timber around uh you know try to get that that little niche market and uh, hopefully now you know with the higher energy prices uh, you know, more people might be might be uh, interested in these biomass uh, central heaters. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, I don't, I, I don't mean to be critical. Right, I mean, right. These guys are operating in a market, and and any market is tricky and challenging to, you know, to 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 nail exactly the right product at the right time and so on. Uh, it just it always has surprised me. I mean, I you know, I would have thought pellets would have made a pretty good. Uh, commercial industrial fuel. You know, I was picturing strip malls and stuff with, you know, boilers in a, in a central boiler room kind of thing. But as you say, the recent history, which is to say the 90s and early uh, this century, uh, we've been in a very, very low fossil fuel price environment. And in that environment, people are not going to make... Uh, very large investments in alternative fuels like pellets. So the that little niche, that little sort of replacement for the wood stove as an option to a wood stove it seems to be the way the market has tended to go. Yeah, and uh, you know, an interesting thing also is that, that central heating as a whole uh, seems to be picking up. Uh, there's a, a quite a number of new manufacturers of uh, of boilers and the existing ones out there are starting to sell big and and uh, something that I'm sure will make your heart glad is that uh, a number of the new boilers are are working off the uh, gasification you know the downdraft gasifier or you know enhanced combustion uh, type of a situation. Yes, I've been watching those guys pretty closely. Um, I, I I do have some regret about the terminology used, but <laughs> yeah, gasification even as as a terminology. Well, yes, a downdraft is not a gasifier. People use the term gasifier because they think it sounds sexy, but gasification is a completely different thing, really, than than downdraft wood combustion. Downdraft wood combustion is fabulous. You don't have to dress it up with a fancy term like gasification to make it acceptable. It's a a downdraft combustion is... So, so you would call these new uh, new types of we shouldn't say new. You would call these these boilers uh, uh, fan force downdraft combustion appliances. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not even necessarily fan forced. Like the Tarm has uh, has a, a combustion air fan. Oh yeah, they're all, just about all of them use a combustion air fan. That's what I mean. Uh, you know, the the, the, the downdraft doesn't doesn't occur. Uh, in the same way as, you know, say the old right way or a Vermont castings, uh, you know, downdraft uh, no. type. It's it's forced. So I guess what I was meaning to say though was that the 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 tarm, while it has a combustion air fan, uses natural draft, whereas the alternative heating system, that so-called wood gun, uses a draft inducer. Okay, you're saying so. It's the difference with the tarm and some others is that they're forced from the the combustion air side as opposed to being pulled from the chimney. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But 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 none of them are 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 what we call true gasification, where you would have a complete. Are you defining it as a as really a complete separation of the gasifying aspect of the uh, of the appliance to the combustion of that gas? Sure. Otherwise, the term is meaningless. You know, I've heard people, believe it or not, I mean, I've heard people talk about how uh, an EPA-certified wood stove is a gasifier because it, you know, it right. puts some, some exhaust or some combustible gas and then it burns at the top of the firebox. Well, at that point, the term becomes completely meaningless. So if we use the term gasifier and what we really mean is downdraft, then what are we going to call a true gasifier, where you heat the fuel uh, in an oxygen-starved environment, take that producer gas, clean it, cool it, and then burn it somewhere downstream of the combustion chamber? Right. right. Yeah, I get. I totally. So what I get, are we going to call that? <laughs> you know. So, I don't know. You know. I'm just trying to protect what is a noble and effective term. 
yeah, yeah, you <laughs> that know, has application. Right? I hear you, and you know, from a technical viewpoint, I think I think not not only a technical, even a discussion viewpoint, which is what we do all day long on our forums. It's it's important to make these distinctions because people were going about these downdraft stoves and they were saying, oh well, this is an Everburn type. Well, which Everburn is like Vermont Casting's you know trademark name for their downdraft stove. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I don't have to keep posting pictures of patented downdraft stoves from 1890. You know, yes. <laughs> showing but I that. I thought the Everburn was a side draft. No, no, the Everburn is is a is is like the original Resolute Acclaim. You know, it's the same. The air comes in by the windows just like anything else. The air actually comes in on top of the firebox, goes down through the wood, and then it has to get through a bed of embers and then up the rear. You know, so it's really an enhanced, you know, right way sort of a thing. But but, so, but I had a, I had an acclaim and it wasn't a downdraft. It was a side draft. Oh, see, I would call that a downdraft. I had an acclaim also, and and because it was, you know, it would it would have this whole bed of embers, which basically closed off any way for the air to get out, mm-hmm. uh, except to go down through that entire bed of embers. Well, I guess you know, nits. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, rather a centered downdraft. You're sort of almost saying a centered downdraft, like the uh, I don't know if you remember the Amity from uh, uh, Peter Albertson. <laughs> The early definitions, a true downdraft, meant that the exhaust was going down through a grate in the floor of the firebox. That's downdraft. Oh, okay. So that would that would be like Peter's. It would actually go down through the grate. But I'm I'm saying it would go down through the the bed of ember. You know, half the there's no way it can get out besides going down through the bed of embers. Well, yeah, but well, okay, but I, you know, okay. So if if that's a downdraft, then what's a side draft? That's one of those problems. Well, I never heard of a side. Dra- you know, I mean, well, if I you've got that a people... floor on a firebox that is solid, right? if the firebox floor is solid and you have an outlet that is at the floor level, which is what the ash, uh, uh, the acclaim would be. Essentially, the exhaust outlet is at firebox floor level. So that would be a side draft. If it is underneath a grate, that would be a downdraft. So that's the well, problem. Is, well, right, John, we're going to have to get the committee for hearth definitions together, <laughs> and we'll have to hack that. You're used to that stuff, right? Well, sure I am. I mean, that's one <laughs> of those things. That, you know, I, well, I mean, I can show you def- definitions from 15, 20 years ago that describe exactly that. that well, see, say, here's my ca- my counter to your argument is that the side draft with the solid grate does allow flame to go up without getting through the embers, whereas the, you know, a sloping bed or any bed that would have a small enough outlet that, that it, at most times there would be no way for the flame to get out of the firebox without going down through a bed of embers. See, there's my, my uh, little tricky classification. Mm-hmm. Make any sense? Well, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, you know, I don't want to pick nits, but I, I just don't see what you call – what do you call something where the exhaust goes down through a grate then? To my knowledge, there are few, if any, wood stoves of that nature on the market today. Well, no, do you know of any? No, but there's the boilers, there's the tarm and the, and the AHS and so on. There's definitely true downdrafts out there. Yeah, and there are yeah. also, like take the original Vermont Casting, uh, oh, what was their flagship stove? for? Like the Defiant. The, De- the Defiant Encore. The oh, the Encore, Encore was catalytic. Yeah, well, see, that was catalytic, and that that would be, you know, sort of a cross draft catalytic. I would give it. I would give you that. Or did it pull the air down down through the catalytic instead of up through it? No, it was up through it, but it was but but the in, exhaust in the rear. The exhaust outlet was low in the firebox. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so and the Acclaim <clears throat> had an exhaust outlet that was lower still. Right. But that just looks to me like an increment of a side draft. One being, yeah, see, uh, something like the Defiant Encore, I consider, you know, a lot of that is in the design that allows a stove to be top loading. In other words, they had to put the catalytic somewhere besides where the obvious place is and where everybody else puts it, which is above the fire. So, you know, a lot of that design is necessitated by that yeah. rather than, you know, the other stoves. But, you know, the, the, the one stove that I mentioned, the Amity from, uh, that was the only uh, natural draft wood stove that I'm aware of in the last uh, 20-something years that, that did try to pull the air down through a hole in the grate, and it failed because he could, you could not count on enough draft 
in the real world, you know, uh, to, to make this thing work. Yes. Well, two true downdrafts have never been very successful in wood stoves. It's, 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 they tend to be pretty fussy. You know, I just uh, a few months ago installed a, a, a 230,000 BTU uh, AHS boiler in the, in the Killaloo grocery store. And uh, that's a very tricky, you know, it is a true downdraft, and they're very tricky to operate. They take a lot of practice to, to, to get used to how they run because they don't run the way an updraft does at all. Now, is this a natural draft appliance? No, it's got a great honking draft inducer that is internal draft inducer that draws the exhaust down through the firebox, out through the heat exchanger, and then pushes it into an ash cyclone. And it still needs it still, and you still need a lot of schooling on how to operate it, even given the oh, yeah. given a a forced draft situation. Oh yeah, oh sure, because well, just to give you a small example, the owner it took him a few weeks of running it to figure out how to do it. The the AHS has a series of exhaust ports in the floor at the center, down the center of the floor of the firebox where the exhaust goes out, and it doesn't have a bypass damper. It just relies on this big draft inducer fan to suck hard enough to keep the smoke from coming out the door. But if you don't take your stoking tool and clear those holes as soon as you open the loading door, uh, you'll get smoke rollout because the exhaust is being blocked by ash, fused ash chunks, and so on, right? So it takes time and to figure out just how to run the thing properly. It's, it's, it's a learning curve there for sure. Interesting. Well, you know, when I called you today, I, I didn't really have a topic in mind, and that's why I sprung you on the corn and, and pellet thing. But it sounds like uh, we're getting to a topic that very much interests our listeners and that has been bannered about. Um, on the hearth.com forum this year uh, almost to no end. There's threads that have been going on for months that have many, many thousands of, of views. And, and and this is up your alley, so it's a, it's probably a good point for us to, to discuss a little bit. And this is somewhat related to the nature of draft, but even further relating to the nature of draft with, however you define them, downdraft or cross-draft stoves. This whole thing started with people, uh, a number of our forum members have, have bought and are uh, using, or I should say trying to use, the newest generation of these downdraft stoves, Vermont Castings and Dutch West especially, the larger models, the non-catalytic models that have this downdraft. And, I mean, I'm talking, there are a lot of members who have had many wood stoves before, including many Vermont Castings for 20 years. And these people are having, when I say the darndest time, I mean, some of them, you read these things and, and they go on for pages of the ways that they're figuring out how to make, how to make their downdraft system work. And, you know, from my perspective, it's very hard to imagine that, that any stove that could be built today and, you know, pass all the testing and pass all the internal quality controls and all that kind of stuff could be like this. But nevertheless, this is the case. And, and, a uh, few of them have just given up and, and, and sold the units, I should say. Quite a number of them, actually. Uh, others are, are working with them, but there is no doubt that they're, they're having a vastly harder time than people are with, with the updraft units. So um, maybe you can shed some light on this. Uh, the, the little bit that I've been able to, to, to read through their post reminds me a little bit of one of my discussions in 1982 with uh, some of the scientists that developed the corn and catalytic converter. And at the time they said to me, and it was really the first I, I heard of this, they said, you know, Craig, if every chimney were perfect in every condition, then every catalytic stove would run perfectly all the time. And I guess it's one of the first things that introduced me to this to this concept. And And, and it does seem like a lot of this, the, the problems that people are, you know, relate to draft, but, but yet these other stoves, you know, the updraft uh, stoves seem to, to take it, you know, take draft problems uh, and cast them aside easier than the downdraft would. So, so perhaps, uh, you know, with me telling you that you could, you know, shed a little light on that. Well, I, you know, I should first say I have never used, never burned that combustion design. Isn't that what it's called? 
Yeah, and and I should say that's based. What amazes me is I had an acclaim which worked fine, and I sold a lot of them. And you know, in general, we had good results with that. And this is a similar, a similar system. The only thing being the firebox being vastly larger, and the bottom being flat instead of sloped like my early acclaim was. And I'm just wondering, maybe all these things all together add up to this, you know, to these problems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, having not used one of those things, I really can't, you know. I mean, my shop heater that I built is a true downdraft, um, rather like a tarm sort of, in, in, you know, in layout and so on. And, you know, it's fussy. It's fussier than my wood stove for, for heating the house. Um, it just takes time for things to get warmed up enough for it to fire off and all the rest of it. I mean, it's a tricky kind of thing. I, You know, Vermont Castings has traditionally um, wanted to distance itself from the approaches used by the other manufacturers. They've always done this. They have, they have done, consistently done things that most other manufacturers did not do, I think. I mean, it's just a personal view on my part. Right, right. Many of those were, were wrong-headed. Like, for example, I don't have really very much use for bimetallic coils in uh, combustion air controls. Um, I, you know, my attitude is that uh, humans are smarter than bimetallic coils are. <laughs> and that, when it comes to wood burn, when it comes to a fire, right? Yeah, and that and that when you... When you put a coil like that between the user and the actual air control, what you do is you create confusion. And you, for the new user, you remove that user from the direct cause and effect relationships that that cause the the stove to function and so on. To me, it causes further problems. So it's making decisions for them and not necessarily all the right ones. That's right. That's right, yeah. and it and it Wait. and it and it makes it harder to learn what's going on. And as you know, I mean, everybody who gets a new stove has a learning process to go through. And I, you know, I've seen people trying to run encores, for example, and they never did get a handle on what was really going on in there because of this distance, this this interface between their use of a lever and its effect on combustion. I just don't think that's very helpful. I mean, you know, Vermont Castings is very, very successful. Um, they are infatuated with, or for many years were infatuated with, catalytic combustion. I don't know that they've ever built a stove without a bypass damper. Uh, bypass dampers in themselves are, are problematic when it comes to wood stoves on a couple of different levels. You know, there's a there's a lack of simplicity there. You know, and something that that seems like it works on paper and you know in the case of the acclaim that I felt did work um, you know the only thing I've been able to sort of read into some of it was that uh, not only what you say that trying to design uh, you know over engineer certain parts of the uh, of the setup but perhaps that um, tuning for EPA today you know that they use two by fours and four by fours with spacers around them of a certain moisture content if I'm not wrong, into a 15-foot stack or so that, you know, that then releases into a, you know, into the dilution yeah. tunnel. Um, you know, if, if, if this makes you want to uh, to make a stove in a certain way that works all the time in that, but then the, how does it work when it's subject to the natural draft sure. principles? Sure. But, I mean, we, we always have that problem. We still have that problem even with updrafts that, you know, the stove, you know, the manufacturer has no choice but to optimize that stove for the lab because they've got to pass those tests and then in the real world which is very different from the lab we are stuck with those results <laughs> so we still have over firing non-cats for example when they're connected to a tall chimney in cold climate the classic classic problem a chimney just feeding on itself like just getting hotter drafting better getting yeah, hotter drafting better sure that's basically it because the taller the chimney the more draft it will put out for a given flue gas temperature. And um, the colder it is outside, the greater the temperature difference, which means more draft. You know, I have called this problem with overfiring non-cats the Florida bungalow syndrome. 
because because the system height in the test stand is 15 feet, not not 15 feet of chimney, but 15 that the stove sits on to the top of the chimney. That's what the 15 oh, wow. foot is, and that's the way an EPA or any of the safety test stands look like. So it's 15 feet from the floor to the top, and the result, and, and not only that, the um, the laboratory is sitting at 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's like attempting to run a wood stove effectively uh, in a Florida bungalow, which is to say the shortest conceivable chimney and the highest conceivable ambient temperature. Not very realistic condition. Well, you know, that's, that's really interesting because people have posted that article, uh, you know, the link and stuff on our forums. And, and you know, I'm sure like me, and I, I think I did look at it once, but uh, some of us need a, need a simpler uh, way to look at things. And, and therefore, could we say that today, considering uh, that they're telling everybody to line their fireplace chimneys, you know, and insulate them in me- many or most cases, uh, so you have six-inch, you know, 25, 27-foot tubes uh, coming from these non-catalytic stoves going straight up. Uh, would it be fair to say that, that overdraft has become a bigger problem uh, while trying to fix underdraft in a way? In other words, they, they, they came up with all these things saying that these big chimneys are going to, you know, under, cool down too much and underdraft. And now, have we gone the other way? Well, I basically don't accept the terminology. Okay. Uh, so I don't think there's any such thing as overdrafting. I just I just reject the idea that there's any such thing as overdrafting. What we do have though is stoves that won't won't turn down enough. So I don't accept the idea that a tall, straight chimney system puts out too much draft. What I do say though is that the stove under those conditions, particularly when it's very, very cold outside and you're firing into a very straight, tall system. The stove had better exercise, good control over combustion airflow. Both primary and secondary, and air leakage. Yeah, which is because a a lot of stoves, you know, a lot of stoves, as you know, are engineered with fully open secondary air, which is going to put in twice or three times as much if the chimney is strong than it did on the test bed. That's right. That's right. So, for example, I've been in the test stands, and the highest draft I measured. In, in a lab setup was around 20 pascals of chimney draft, which is pretty good chimney draft. How is that in inches of water? Is it, uh, is that, it... is, uh, that is uh, just under a tenth of an inch. Call it a tenth of an inch. Okay, 0.10. Mm-hmm. So that would okay. be like 25 pascals would be a tenth. Okay. Um, and my stove fires straight up into a factory-built chimney, and the total system height is oh well over 30 feet. It's probably close to 35 feet because it's a two-and-a-half-story house with a 12-12 pitch roof on it. It's very, very tall. And at, uh, as I recall, one day I was fooling around, and, I, and it was like very cold outside. It was minus 16 or something outside. And I fired it until I had 1,000 degrees flue gas temperature in the flue pipe measured with a thermocouple and that produced something like 83 84 pascals of draft so that's four times as much draft as you would tend to get maximum in a test stand situation so that'd be like point uh point four or yeah. something like that yeah an incredible amount of draft so i have every epa stove that i've ever installed in this house i have had to fiddle fiddle the combustion air system on it one way or another, every single one of them, so that the stove wouldn't overfire. You know, in some cases, I blocked off part of that open secondary you mentioned. And in other cases, I removed the fixed stop on the air control to allow it to close more. Now, I, I, this has been one of my hobby horses. I've been riding this thing for a long time. Well, believe me, you'll have plenty of more time to ride this one. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's, here's my position on this whole question, is that the problem dates back to the mid-'80s when the guys who were developing the EPA rules just did not understand how chimneys worked. And moreover, they didn't understand the relationship between 
chimneys and stove operation and climate. Um, and so they did not pick up on the fact that this in this that the stoves that were optimized for that EPA emissions test wouldn't function properly in a cold climate connected to a taller chimney. They didn't they missed that whole end of things. We can't now go back and say the test is invalid. It's too late for that. The thing is established. What I suggest is that installers, technicians who have have credentials, who have taken the necessary courses and so on, and have achieved certification as solid fuel technicians or whatever, should be able to modify air controls to take account of the particular conditions that are encountered, such as cold climate, tall chimneys. Um, some manufacturers have designed in a means by which a dealer or you know an installer can go in and modify things in a small way to reduce the fixed opening on the air control. Most stoves don't have a simple way to do this, but some stoves do. And the reality is, you know, the whole EPA emissions thing was based on the idea that people smolder wood stoves. So they designed the test standards so that you would, the manufacturer would be forced to run the stove at extremely low, low, low firing rates and still have to produce low emissions. And um, that has created all kinds of problems because, you know, you when you insist on the stove firing at very, very low firing rates, um, obviously you get down to a low firing rate. At certain certain point, you can't burn, you know. So the lowest burn rate is 0.8 of a kilogram, I think, which is insanely low. Even in big stoves. That's what it is. I said, that, yeah, and it doesn't matter on the firebox size. So, no. you know, you, you could have a, a three or four cubic foot EPA stove and that thing has to burn at some incredibly low value. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the reality is hardly any stoves uh, that are EPA certified actually meet the low burn limit. They just, they can't do it. So, of course, what the manufacturers do, because the fire would go out, right, and it would just smolder and they fail the test. So there's another little clause in there that says, well, if the stove leaks so much that you cannot burn at a low enough rate to meet the low burn criteria, then what you have to do is two burns, two successful burns at the low medium burn rate, which is you know basically twice as much wood per hour. And so that's what everybody does. They put a fixed minimum air inlet on there. Basically, you know, they put a stop on the air control so it won't close off, which means that the stove will not burn slow enough to meet the low burn rate, and they do two successful runs at the low, low medium or the medium low rate. Well, that fixed minimum air supply causes havoc in the field when you're in a cold climate with a tall chimney because now the stove won't turn down. So... This is mischief created by the emissions test standard. You know, I hear you, and I'll tell you one of the things, you get little things running through your mind uh, all the time, or at least I do, and and one of my, my lately ones has been, you know, EPA and, and all these statistics have now made it, so we have a number of, of people recommending people, oh, buy a bigger stove, buy a bigger stove, because they can be turned down now. Mm-hmm. And and now that I'm I'm doing some studying of the of the firebox sizes on various stoves in the marketplace, and I'm thinking, you know, more than ever, more than ever now, I would suggest people not oversize. I, it just, it, you know, it's it, it, it's something that I've said for 20 years, and I you can uh, agree or you can uh, chastise me, but it, it is size your stove by your wood pile, <laughs> you know, not by your house, uh, meaning that. You know, the person who is going to burn a cord of wood or two cords of wood a year or go out and buy some bio bricks, you know, or whatever, you know, buy that that more so. I, mean, I hate to use a brand name here, but, you know, something with a one cubic foot firebox, you know, that, 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 that really does a beautiful job and, and, you know, puts out lots of heat. Maybe it doesn't burn a long time, but, uh, you know, don't buy that 
uh, two and a half, three, three and a half cubic foot thing and, and, and run a small fire in it. No, I, I agree completely. I do agree. It's, it's just there's that distinction between whole house heating and room heating. I heat my whole house with a single wood stove, and that stove has to function fairly well uh, in uh, early October um, and the depth of January. And those are, you know, there's three or four uh, orders of magnitude different heat requirements in those two conditions. So, and yet my stove still has to be able to heat the house when it's minus 20 up. And uh, that's a big challenge. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, on that same topic, um, my idea when you talk about these uh you say there's no overdraft but then you allude to the fact that the chimneys are overdrafting i guess some of it is semantics but um what i was taught and again this may be completely wrong uh, the question is what can you do in the real world now the man you know if the you know joe homeowner with the tens of thousands of millions of stoves out there is not going to necessarily change his draft control and the manufacturers aren't going to change next week and EPA isn't going to change next year. And and something that I suggest or some of the at least people trying to find out what's wrong and, and why their stove's not burning a long time and why it's overheating. I mean, we suggest everything from the barometric damper when and I know that in the very, very cold climate, you're going to be concerned with, uh, you know, the amount of air, room air that it's that it's sucking up the chimney. But that may or may not be as big of a thing in you know, in temperate climates, uh, a turn damper to choke down the chimney, and even our uh, our latest favorite for troubleshooting, a couple rocks, you know, put in uh, the stovepipe up there behind the, uh, the uh, bypass uh, just to see uh, if you can choke the chimney down a little bit and if that's going to make any difference. So could you speak to, you know, all these ideas of, of other, any other possibilities in cutting down and why they may not work? Well, you know, yeah, I don't like barometrics. I just plain flat out don't like barometrics. They 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 consume too much room air. Um, you know, unless you live in Florida, people in Florida don't have to worry about being cold to the same extent the rest of us do. Um, so but I think from a science from a scientific viewpoint, mm-hmm. independent of that room air, would would that would that temper the chimney in the way you like? The function of a barometric is to modify chimney draft and reduce it down to an acceptable level. Uh, but, but let's look at it this way. Look at it this way. The oil and gas industries have been working for 20 years to get rid of dilution devices like barometric draft controls. They've been moving to direct vents and power vents and anything but these passive uh, barometric draft controls. I mean, it is a crude device. Uh, just consisting of a you know a, a, a swing damper with a weight on it, um, and the consumption of air through a barometric is going to be three, four, five, ten times as much as the combustion air requirements going in the air control, uh, and it makes stoves more susceptible to spillage of all kinds of different types. That is, when you run a clothes dryer or a kitchen range exhaust, the barometric has the effect of any, any, you know, anytime you introduce a great big leak into a combustion system, you create a bunch of problems. So I don't like barometrics. I think it's a crude and disgusting way to solve a problem. Okay. So let's, lo- let's talk about real world, you know, millions of stoves out there. You know, what's being sold now? What's being installed now? Besides the, you know, we, we understand your article addresses, uh, you know, the, the air control modifications and things. Is there is there any way to work with the chimney either given, you know, the rocks, the damper, or perhaps some inventor or future device that, that you foresee that could, you know, that could solve this chimney? Well, you know, each one of those issues is looked at in that article I did called the Florida Bungalow Syndrome. Every one of those options, the barometric, the flue pipe key damper. Uh, somebody suggested, I think maybe you were alluding to, and somebody else has suggested before, a chimney restrictor plate. You know. Right, whether, yeah, some kind of continuously adjustable thing or some kind of no, easily... No, this thing was yeah. fixed. It made me crazy. I couldn't believe anybody actually suggested it, but they were talking about putting a restrictor plate in the chimney cap. Oh, in the chimney cap? In the yeah. chimney cap at the top of the chimney to reduce the flow rate 
through the chimney. But there's, I mean, why not put a turn damper down there at the bottom, really, and well, just set it at other, a certain level? Yeah, that's one of the other options: is a key damper in the flue pipe. Um, but you know, I mean, some of the work I did back in the early '90s on what what causes spillage of smoke into houses from wood stoves and furnaces and so on. What what is it? What is it? What are the characteristics of a system? that make it more likely that smoke will spill into the room. And one of the key ones is any kind of a bypass damper. Key dampers, bypass dampers and stoves, anything... Any kind of damper. Any kind of a damper that is between the combustion chamber and the chimney tends to have an effect on spillage. I mean, you know, take a simple key damper. The old things that used to be used in old potbelly stoves and so on because they weren't airtight enough to control the airflow, right? So they would overfire without a key damper. Well, a key damper, if you look in a six-inch pipe, um, a key damper probably, once it gets a little fur on it from creosote collecting and so on, it, you know, it's probably occupying 15 to 20 percent of the flue area. And uh, six-inch flue pipes are already very small uh, relative to the door openings. So there's a, a key damper added to a flue pipe is going to make it more likely in marginal situations to get smoke rolled out when you open the door to load, for example. It's hard to tell whether they are perfectly open, which is another problem with them. So you sometimes think it's open and it's not fully open. So now it's 30% of the flu area that's blocked. And people forget to open them. You know, that's just one of the things. People forget to open yeah, yeah, They open the yeah. door and they get a face full of smoke, you know. It's a common, common kind of thing. You know, my view on key dampers is that they are a throwback to a much earlier and cruder era of wood burning, back when stoves were not gasketed, back when stoves couldn't be controlled uh, for a long an overnight burn, so you had to have a key damper to choke it off. We don't have to do that now. We've got gasketed doors, and uh, under the right conditions, the stove can, can, can be controlled. My view is that the stove ideally is controlled by the front end. That is, by being able to restrict access to combustion air, you can control the firing rate. The fly in the ointment, of course, is that the EPA certification, you know, the, the protocol for that test induces the manufacturers to leave a big fixed minimum air supply. Uh, so when you connect to a tall chimney, it'll overfire. Um, but there have been lots of, this has been also a big thread on our Woody at Yahoo group. And some people, you know, there have been, a, in some stoves, you have a big fixed opening for the secondary air. I've had success just blocking half that hole. That, right, right. I, I've done the same, I've, especially with whistling stoves. With what? Howling stuff. Oh, yeah. Whistling or howling stuff. Sure. Um, somebody talked about using uh, foil tape across those openings and then punching holes until you get the right blend. <laughs> um, yeah. In other cases, uh, there's a tab on some designs where you can just bend that tab with a <clears throat> pair of pliers. It will allow the air control to close more. You know, every stove has its own particular design issues uh, right right but you know in fact just last week <laughs> one of the one of the subscribers to our our wood heat discussion group uh he had a firelight a yodel firelight i think and he added that's one of the ones with a fixed minimum a fixed secondary air supply in it and he installed his own little damper and um and rod coming out under the ashlip to control his secondary as well as his primary. <laughs> ah, American ingenuity. Major Canadian tinker, ingenuity. yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> it's great stuff. So we've had those kinds of discussions about how to manage stoves. I mean, I you know, I don't like advocating changing wood stoves, you know. <clears throat> you know, if you look at the strict rules of safety certification and emission certification, any modification of a stove from its as shipped from the manufacturer condition violates and invalidates, voids those certifications. That's the strict letter of the law. In reality, though, an EPA-certified stove that was tested and certified on a 15-foot system and now is installed in a 35-foot system 
and was tested and certified at 85 degrees ambient temperature and is now sitting at minus 20 degrees, it is not operating as it was intended anyway. Not even, not even close. You know, that stove is not experiencing the conditions under which it was certified. And so by adjusting the air supply to uh, accommodate the high draft you get with a tall system in cold weather, all you're doing is bringing the operation, the actual practical operation of that stove back closer to the way it was intended to operate in the lab. That's, you know, I think that says it all. And, you know, interestingly enough, this conversation came around to what seems like, uh, you know, probably a problem, like you say, for for many, many years, but something now that wood burning is uh, having a great resurgence, something that uh, that, that we all we all have to address. And, um, you know, before we go today, is there any um, hope on the horizon that you can give us that that perhaps uh, are, are you involved or is anybody involved in anything that is further studying this and saying to the EPA or to the test labs or to the manufacturers and, and have any idea, are, are they looking to, to change stove design in the future or to, to do anything to address this problem or is this always going to be left to us out in the field? Um, I don't think anything's going to be done about it. You know, it's one of those crazy situations. I mean, right now, the way things sit... The manufacturers are happy because they know that they can pass these tests. The tests are stable. Um, there's no impending change on the horizon that anybody can point to. Uh, EPA um, <clears throat> has lost most of its key staff. It doesn't have the corporate memory anymore. It, it could no more revise that thing now than fly to the moon because they don't, you know, they don't have the staff expertise any longer nor do they have the budget any longer to, for in that area to do all the necessary management work to, you know, sort of supervise um, the, 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 the rewriting of their requirements. There's just so much inertia. Um, and nobody listens to retailers, as you know. Uh, <laughs> so I don't expect there will be any change. I wrote that article on the Florida bungalow syndrome, and in there I proposed the idea that certified technicians, trained and certified technicians, be permitted to make adjustments to account for the particular conditions. And uh, that article, while it was quite popular, it has been reprinted, was printed in Hearth and Home, you may recall. It's been all over the place. When was that article written, John? A couple of years ago. Okay. So relatively recent. Oh, yeah, it's fairly recent. Um, but it was met, met with absolute deafening silence. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I have not received a single phone call wanting to follow up on the issue. Um, I happen to know that one of the key labs who you know that were instrumental in the original design of the regulation um, uh, doesn't really take the problem very seriously. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's really only the retailers and the chimney sweeps that are out there looking at hundreds and hundreds of systems. And the customers. I mean, we're hearing it from them every day. The people who say, I bought the stove, you know, it's supposed to have a you know, 10 or 12-hour draft and it's supposed to be able to run it a lower temperature and it's you know it's running at 650 or 750 and it's burning up in four hours sure that's a common common story but you know um there is there's very little incentive for you know there's the the key groups there's the epa and there's the manufacturing bunch uh but neither of those groups has any incentive whatsoever to reopen this thing Wow. Well, you know, since I, I always do have to be the optimist, and I know you are too, uh, I think we could say that, that sites like your site, woodheat.org, and your, uh, your Yahoo group, discussion group, and our forum, that in some ways uh, the fact that these problems come up and that they're being discussed and that hopefully now with listening to this and with my being a little more educated on this, uh, that, that hopefully in the end the, the consumers and the marketplace will be sorting out the stoves that you know that work better they'll be sizing their stoves better they'll you know they'll they'll find ways around this because it sure doesn't seem like uh like the solutions are going to be coming from above anytime soon well no 
but the, and you know what I recommended in that article was that you know certified technicians be allowed to make changes, and I also recommended that manufacturers who are on the ball, who are paying attention to what happens to their products in the field, when they revise their products, which all of them do from time to time over the years, when they revise their products, they should uh, redesign their air control so that it is field adjustable. Not by the user, but by the dealer. You know, if you've got to take off an access panel or crawl around underneath the unit to make that adjustment, that should be permitted. Um, and smart manufacturers would design their air controls in such a way that um, these kinds of field adjustments could be made by a trained technician. And some of them already have. I know of a manufacturer. I had a, sort of a discreet conversation with a manufacturer who actually in violation of all the rules, uh, does have a little, I'm not even sure what it looks like, I haven't actually seen it, but he's got a little kit that he will ship out to people who are bitterly complaining about short burn times. So he knows enough about the problem, and he has a little fix, which he will mail out at no cost. That's the kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes when people aren't willing to forthrightly talk about things, you know, publicly. Well, you know, it's lucky that uh, that you're not fully on the payroll of any manufacturers, or even partially. I assume hardly. <laughs> well, I couldn't. At this point, you know, I couldn't talk like that if I did. You know? <laughs> it's, too it's always bad. good to have. You know, the manu- it's always good to have. Go ahead. Well, the manufacturers find themselves in a box. You know, yeah. they find themselves yeah. in a box. I mean, in most industries, a manufacturer can really. Uh, you know, work around the engineering and still, and as you indicate, some of them may be doing that, and, and we have to hold our, our, our hopes up there. But meanwhile, you and I are still going to have a lot of work to do troubleshooting, I guess. Well, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I'm not a dealer anymore, so I don't, I am not stuck with that. I, you know, I spoke with one dealer who told me that every every stove he sells is going to be connected to a chimney that's more than 25 feet, he will put a key damper in the flue pipe. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, like I say, these millions that are out in the field and and not knowing the intricacies of, of the air controls on, on every one of them, uh, you know, that, that, that sounds like what it's going to take. So, hey, John, I really appreciate your time today, and I have learned a lot myself. I'm going to go back and reread that article and probably uh, – uh, post a, a full-time link to it somewhere instead of it getting buried in our forum somewhere because, uh, you know, the idea of our site is to try to solve people's problems even before they ask if possible or at least if not solve them, <laughs> let them know, uh, you know, w- what the problem might be. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. I really, appreci- I really appreciate your time and energy, and I'm sure I'm going to be calling back uh, for some more enlightening conversations. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs>